Hello and welcome to JG Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain with JG Ministries. Glad to have you with us. Be sure to follow this podcast and you'll receive notifications every time there's a new podcast. We are studying the book of Luke and we are unpacking chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the 6th chapter of Luke. And we're going to begin with verse 24. Let's get into it. Now last time we unpacked the blessings given by Jesus. And now we're going to unpack the woes that Jesus has given. So let's take a look at verse 23. Jesus pronounced woes. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Now I want to stop there for a moment, and let's go back and take a look at verse 24. I'll look at 24 and 26 collectively. The woes in both structure and content form a direct contrast to the blessings. This again follows the pattern of Mary's song that we saw in the first chapter of Luke. The four woes present those who are least esteemed in Christ's new society. Tragically, these are the very ones who are counted great in the world that we live in today. In verse 24, woe to you who are rich. Now there are series, uh, uh, there are uh, a serious immoral problems that are connected with hoarding wealth in a world where several thousand people die daily of starvation and where every other person is deprived of the good news of salvation through faith in Christ. Now, these words of the Lord Jesus shall be pondered carefully by Christians who are tempted to lay up treasures on earth to hoard and and scrimp money for a rainy day. To do this is to live for the wrong world to live for the wrong reasons. Incidentally, this woe on the rich proves quite conclusively that when the Lord says, blessed are you poor, in verse 20, he did not mean poor in spirit. Otherwise, verse 24 would have to mean woe to you who are rich in spirit, and such a meaning, of course, is out of the question. Now, those who would have wealth and who fail to use it for the eternal enrichment of others They've already received the only reward they will ever get, the selfish present gratification of their desires. Jesus pronounces woe to the rich, not simply because they are wealthy, but because they have chosen present gratification over future blessing. And because rich people criticized in Luke, they disregard spiritual realities that we'll see in Luke chapter 12, And also, perhaps because, as was generally assumed, the wealthy became wealthy at the expense of the others. So taking a look at verse 25, woe to you who are full. These are believers who eat in expensive restaurants, who live on the finest gourmet foods, and spare no expense when it comes to the groceries. Their motto is, nothing's too good for the people of God. The Lord says that they will hunger in a coming day. This is when rewards are given out for faithful, sacrificial discipleship. 
And we have woe to you who laugh now. Now this woe is aimed at those whose lives are a continuous cycle of amusement, entertainment, and pleasure. They act as if life was made for fun and frolic and seem oblivious of the desperate condition of men outside of Jesus Christ. Those who laugh now will mourn and weep when they look back over the wasted opportunities, over the selfish indulgence in their own spiritual impoverishment. And finally, in verse 26, we take a look at the woe to you when all men speak well of you. Why? Because it is a sure sign you're not living the life or faithfully proclaiming the message. It is in the very nature of the gospel to offend the ungodly. Those who receive their plaudits from the world are fellow travelers with the false prophets of the Old Testament who tickled their, the people's ears telling them what they wanted to hear. They were more interested in the favor of men than in the praise of God. The word all in the clause, when all men speak well of you, should be emphasized, lest we distort the basic concepts of honor and praise. False prophets plagued God's people in the Old Testament times. They were a threat in Jesus' day. They were a threat in Paul's day and on into the church age. Now we're going to move into love for enemies, the son of man's secret weapon, which is love. In each of the five antitheses of Matthew chapter 5, Luke selects one theme and enlarges on it. As might be expected from his basic concern for people, he chooses the theme of love. He does not present the teaching of Jesus over against the prevalent distortion of the Old Testament. Instead, Luke conveys only the positive command. So let's go back to our Bible and take a look at our scriptures. Now let's begin with verse 27. I want to read a few verses and then visit with you about those. Beginning with verse 27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from you, whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. I want to stop this section, and I want to go back and review this. I'm going to review some of these verses together, but <clears throat> kind of taking a look at verses 27 to 29a, and when I say a letter after a number, 29A. 
usually that's going to be the first line of that verse. Uh, second line would be B, third line would be C, in that nature. So verses 27 to 29a, you who hear me, means those who are taking in what Jesus is saying. The word love must be understood in its classic Christian sense of agape, having a genuine concern for some irrespective of his or her attractiveness or of the likelihood of any reciprocation in kind. And Jesus spells out the specifics. Now, the Lord Jesus unveils to his disciples a secret weapon from the arsenal of God. This is the weapon of love. This will be one of their most effective weapons in evangelizing the world. However, when he speaks of love, he's not referring to the human emotion of that name. This is a supernatural love. Only those who are born again can know it or display it. It is utterly impossible for anyone who does not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. A murderer may love his own children, but that is not love as Jesus intended. The one is human affection and the other is divine love. The first, human love, requires only physical life. The second, the divine love, requires divine life. The first one is largely a matter of the emotions of a person, as the second is largely a matter of the will. Anyone can love his friend, but it takes supernatural power to love one's enemies. And that is the love, agape, of the New Testament. It means to do good to those who hate you, to bless those who curse you, to pray for those who are nasty to you, and ever and always to turn the other cheek. Now, this situation involves action that must be met by some physical response. Uh, being struck on the cheek probably refers to an insult slap or to a hand blow to the jaw. In this first instance, apparently no physical harm has been done, so the response also is not physical, but to bless and to pray. In its deepest sense, love is the prerequisite of Christianity to feel toward enemies what others feel towards friends, to descend as rain and sunbeams on the unjust as well as the just, to minister to those who are unprepossessing and repellent as others minister to the attractive and winsome, to always be the same, not subject to moods or fancies or whims, to suffer long, to take no account of evil, to rejoice with truth, to bear, believe, hope, and endure all things, never to fail. This is love, and such love is the achievement of the Holy Spirit. We cannot achieve it ourselves. But love like this is unbeatable. The world can usually conquer the man who fights back. It is used, it is used to jungle warfare, to the principle of retaliation, but it does not know how to deal with a person who repays every wrong with half kindness. It is utterly confused and disorganized by such otherworldly behavior. 
Now, kind of taking a look at verses 29b to verses 31, and like I said again, uh, 29b is usually the second line in a verse if there's more than one verse that you want to look at. If someone takes your cloak, may refer to a street robbery, though the passage implies that the person has a need or thinks he has a need. Now, the teaching of the passage as a whole relates not so much to the passivity in the face of evil as to the concern for another person. Inevitably, to refrain from doing evil often means suffering evil. This was the path of the Lord Jesus, who prayed for his enemies, and he died for them. When robbed of his overcoat, love offers its suit coat as well. The tunic was an underneath garment that was worn. You usually had your tunic, and then you had an outer uh, cloak, if you will. But it never turns away from any genuine case of need when you give someone or someone is in need and you give them their cloak. When unjustly deprived of its property, one does not ask that it be returned. We see a golden rule here, to treat others with the same kindness and consideration as you would like to receive. Now, verses 32 to 34, at this point, we have a remarkable series of comparisons between the courtesies of believers and those of the worldly people. Even sinners act decently to others when kindness is reciprocated. Loving is augmented by doing good, which in turn is expressed in lending. Expecting to be repaid in full probably implies some kind of reciprocal treatment in return rather than just the simple repayment of the loan. One should benefit the helpless as well as one's friends. Unsaved men can love those who love them. This is a natural behavior and so common that it makes no impact on the world of unsaved men. Banks and loan companies will lend money with the hope of collecting interest, but this does not require divine life. Now let's quickly take a look at verse 35. Therefore, Jesus repeated that we should love our enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. Such behavior is distinctly Christian and marks out those who are the sons of the Most High. Of course, this is not the way men become sons of the Most High. That can only happen through receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But this is the way true believers manifest themselves to the world as sons of God. God treated us in the way that was described in verses 27 through 35. He is kind to the unthankful and to the evil people. When we act like that, we manifest the family likeness. We show that we have been born of God. Believers are to be like what they really are, sons of the Most High. And as such we will have recognition for that. Jesus is not teaching that one earns sonship. Rather, the day will come when the world will recognize that we are God's children. The injunction is directed to individuals who desire to live as sons of the Most High. And notice, too, that Jesus is not advocating the suspension 
of normal civil judicial procedures, okay? Now quickly, verse 36, with the time we got remaining, be merciful. That singles out the area of life in which, given the preceding examples, one is likely to come short. The pattern for our kindness to others is God's kindness to us. To be merciful means to forgive when it is in our power to avenge. The Father showed us mercy by not giving us punishment that we deserved. And he wants us to show that same kind of mercy to others. And with that, we are running out of time. But next time, we're going to get into verse 37. And we're going to start with the judging others section of the book of Luke. So until next time, God bless you. And keep living Christian strong.